Mr. Rainwater. Hey, Chow. You're back on the <laughs> juice, and so am I. But not the same juice. Uh, I've had a lot of caffeine today, so... Oh, you've had caffeine, so you had the upper, I had the downer. Yes, yes. I'm I'm three sheets to the wind, kids. Uh, the in-laws <laughs> are in town, and the way to get through it is called Jim Beam Honey. <laughs> and that's where we are. So Rainwater's had caffeine, I've had bourbon, and here we are. We are talking tonight about um, going professional or keeping art as a hobby, but we're going to kind of lean into that through a different lens the question that I'm going to kind of talk to you, Mr. Rainwater, about uh, occurred to me in the shower, as many thoughts mm. do. I don't know about you, but I have a lot of deep thoughts in the shower. Either sure. I'm singing or I'm thinking, or sometimes both. Sometimes the singing from the music will kickstart the idea. But the idea that I had was, you know, you hear a lot from artists complaining online or in general, as you know. Because uh, artists do swim in similar circles, that all they need is that one chance, that one investor, that one opportunity to prove themselves, but they don't ever get the right person to yeah. do that. And I was thinking about that from my own standpoint because I felt like I know for a fact that for a while in my history, I was that guy saying, oh, I just need that shot. I just need that opportunity. If only I had this money. If only I blah, 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 blah. And I started, I like to argue with myself. I don't know if you know, you do this. This is just a th me All thing. I don't know if artists no. do this. Okay. All the time. I will take the opposite position of the stance that I'm currently in and argue myself mm -hmm. so that I can kind of come to a understanding about how to problem solve whatever issue I'm dealing with because, right. I, you know what I mean? It, the artist has an ego. And if I'm arguing with myself, there's no way that I'm going to lie to myself about which side ended up being right. So I will argue different sides of a argument mm -hmm. until one of them cannot fight back. Right. You know what I mean? And that's where yeah. I arrive at my end conclusion. So in the process of thinking about, man, if I just had that shot, if I just had that money, yada, 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 I came to the conclusion where it's like, well, I have money now. Not a ton of money, don't get me wrong. But I have money that I've earned by doing my videography business. And I posed the question to myself, well, if you were going to invest this money that you earned into another director, into another project, into whatever, what would you want? Mm -hmm. Right? What would you want to see? What would you want to know? Would you want to sit down and read a script and then be like, okay, this guy can direct from a script? No, absolutely not you would want to see a short film or a film. Yeah. You would want to see some footage. Then you would want to talk to the person about their ideas and ask them how they got there. And, you know, like, like really dig down deep into the things that you already know or things that you, you know what I mean? Like to a kind of establish a ground level of this person knows what they're doing. They have a plan. They're prepared. They've tested things and they've invested in it. And I think that was the big takeaway for me was they have invested in themselves. So a lot of people like to say, oh, if I only had the money, if I only had the chance. The truth is you do have the money and you do have the chance. The The problem is you spend it on bourbon or <laughs> sure. going going to a Yankee game, going yeah. out uh, dancing. You know what I mean? Like there needs to be a level of sacrifice upon the artist to invest 
in themselves before you can ask anybody else to invest in you. And it's like, sure. well, so-and-so has money. They can lose. Nobody wants to lose money. I don't care how much fucking money you have. Compared to the homeless guy in the street, I am living large right now. Compared to other peers that we went to college with, I feel like I'm just a complete abysmal failure. It's all about perspective. Right. So it really came down to it where it's like, well, if I don't invest in myself and my own interests and passions, why should I ever expect anybody else to do the same? Yeah, that's 100% and, true. No, what are you going to say? So I'm just getting back to the topic where it got to the point where I was like, okay, if I need to do this, I need to make some stuff and I need to show off what I can do. Digits mm. is there, but that's that's 10 years ago and that's kind of out of date and that's not really in di- indicative of the talents that I believe that I can pull off now. So I came to the point where it's like, okay, I got to start doing stuff. Whether or not it's haunted, it's got to be something. I have to get behind the camera. I have to edit things. I have to do the sound fully and all that shit. And I've got to start proving myself. And that I think is the difference for me. I don't know if you have a uh, different opinion on this about whether or not you want to go professional or stay as a hobbyist when it comes to art, because a hobbyist really kind of does it for them themselves. It's a cathartic experience. It's kind of like masturbation. I don't want to demean it, but in in my opinion, like a hobbyist is not trying to do it as a living or have someone else invest in them or, you know, it's entirely, and this word gets a bad rap, but it's selfish. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Right. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but a hobbyist is selfish. Whereas a professional is more about lending talents to other people. Well, and a professional gets sort of, in in certain ways, I'd almost describe it as they get caught up in the process of trying to appeal to the audience. And part mm. of what brought this topic up to me was that I had, um, so I had gone to like a gallery opening last week and happened to just like, you know, while hanging out, sitting at a bench and listening to some music that was at this opening because they had like a live band. Uh, some dudes came to just share the bench with me and I ended up striking conversation with them. And I found out that one of the dudes there uh, was like a, a producer. So like he made music and wow. and he was sharing his music with me. It was really cool. Like it was, he did like hip hop stuff with some other like local artists. And to me, I'm like, where can I find this? Like, where are you sharing this? He's like, ah, it's just something I'm doing as a hobby. Like I'm just kind of keeping it to myself. And like he shared a link with me that was a private link to the, one of the tracks he made. And I've listened to it a couple times now. And like, it kind of blew my mind. Cause I was just like, I couldn't, for me, I cannot, I cannot put those two diodes together to like make sense of why you would make something. And if it's, you know, especially if it's the only thing you make and just keep it to yourself. Like to me, I think that that's, I don't think it's selfish necessarily, but it's also just like, I think, I mean, I guess I look at art as the point of it is to share it. Right. And it's not like he isn't sharing it. He's just sharing of a very more, with a much more selective audience. Mm. Um, to me, it's more like, I think I'm just so used to the cycle of making something, putting it out and sharing it. And like, I'm also used to the cycle of making something, putting it out, 
sharing it and not that many people respond to it. <laughs> so like I, you know, I hear somebody make a track where I'm like, wow, I feel like a lot of people would respond to this and they're just keeping it to themselves. I'm just like, what, what's going on? Like, you know what I mean? Like what's the, so that made me, th- I, I, that made me think about this topic because I really wanted to open up this conversation of, I think it is just a different perspective on things, right? It's just a different means by which you make something because you're not, you're not as interested in the feedback on it. You're interested in just the process, probably. You know what I mean? And I don't, I mean, for you, Joe, like, have you ever had, I mean, have there been things that you made that you're just like keeping it to yourself? You just made it for you? Yes and no. Yeah. So this was also a kind of a, a topic that I, oh, this was the other topic I wanted to pitch to you. <laughs> now I remember now that we're nine minutes into recording. I've made things like I've written things. I should, I should, I haven't made them. I guess you could say I made a script or made a story or whatever um, that have made me uncomfortable. Cause I like to, I like to delve into areas where I feel uncomfortable in my art because. Sometimes I can't do it in real life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, I would call myself a little bit of an adrenaline junkie. I don't like nowadays. There used to be a time where I was very timid, very shy, very, you know, I just not very outgoing. Now, you know, before COVID, like I was jumping out of planes. I make all this weird ass food. Like I'm very exploratory. I really much enjoy doing things that I'm scared of, going places, talking to things, people that makes me uncomfortable. I don't like to upset people, but I do like to, I don't, I, this is a weird way to put it, uh, upset myself Sure. because I feel like it's, it's one of those things where if you're not, if you're not experiencing a wide range of emotions over the course of a week, like a day is a little much, but over the course of a week or a month at the very least, you're not living a full life in my opinion. So as an artist, I like to kind of push myself to do things. And one of the things that I have done is I have explored doing things that make me uncomfortable in terms of story decisions, characters. I've talked about some of them a little bit on this podcast. For example, Cemetery Sweethearts was one that I very much wanted to keep to myself for a very long time because the, the second lead is a trans girl and... If you know anything about me, like that's way out of my wheelhouse. I do not hang sure. out with a crowd that involves transgender people. I know trans people. I'm acquaintances with trans people, but I don't have anybody's. I don't have a transgender person's number in my phone, like mm-hmm. that I could call and say, "Hey, you want to go grab some food?" Or, "Oh, what'd you think of this movie?" Like, I don't. So it was uncomfortable for me to write about a character, you know, like that, um, not having close ties with people like that. And sharing it with the world because I don't know how the world is going to judge me about the white guy. You know what I mean? Like doing something like that. So there are times in my art where I venture into uncomfortable. Like there's like Terror House is another one. You see the poster behind me. It's about a black guy being persecuted by the police. Um, Do you know what I mean? Like everybody thinks, oh, it's a haunted house movie. Well, yeah, it's that. It's it's a wolf in sheep's clothing kind of deal. Um. But the, the underlying story is about a, a guy who locks himself in, in his house because he's, you know, the, the police want to 
pin him for a crime that he may or may not have committed. I won't give away the ending. Um, and he ends up getting locked in his own house, even not by his own design, but by the design of this crazy traveling haunt that's featured in Haunted. And the the idea plays with, well, you know, are you living your life locked in a house? or And this was before quarantine. I wasn't trying to commentate on that, <laughs> but I'm sure someone could pull that analogy out of it. Um, but I guess the point is, is I, there are times when I don't share my work. It's entirely for me because I like to experience whether or not I can pull that off in my own mind. After a while, though, I get to the point of comfort with it where it's like I'm confident in this. Yeah, I think I'm going to see what people say now. Have I sent this script to a black guy that's, you know, had issues with the police and said, what do you think? No. Have I sent Cemetery Sweethearts outline to uh, a trans woman and said, did I get it right? No, I haven't done that. But I have started to take steps outside of my comfort zone, telling other people about it, who they are or, you know, what lifestyle they walk in completely at random. I don't really kind of judge, but there have been times when. I don't know if I would call it as a hobby, though. I would th- I would say it's the first steps towards taking the leap professionally, if that makes sense. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Absolutely. Like, absolutely. It's about my, my own personal comfort boundaries that I've set up for myself. And we talked about this last week about the rejection and the thick skin that it takes. Sometimes you need to sit with your work <laughs> for a yeah. while to know to know whether or not you are confident in it, right? Mm. Because if you just do it and put it out there, you are very, very raw. You're very weakened and open for attack. But if you've sat with something for a while, you know what flaws are there and what's strong. And Mm. you can kind of, and it helps you weed through critique as to whether or not the person read it, they know what they're talking about, et cetera. That's kind of how how I go about. So it's not really about a hobby thing for me. It's more about preparing myself to yeah. do the best work I can and also on a personal basis, not protect my ego, but ready it. Sure. I guess is the right word. Sure. What do you no, what I mean, about you? Do, I mean, I've got to imagine that you you you've talked about sketching before at great length because you like to do that, but is that not is that not um, in some way for you the first is. steps of something that comes yeah. later? Yeah, it is often the first steps of something that comes later. But I'm also like I am remembering that I had um, like this was maybe second year after I got out of art school um, when I was making Garage Raja. I did simultaneously – I, and I'm, right now I'm kind of looking back at that, like, how did I have the energy to do this? But, like, simultaneously, like, I was doing, um, like, like illustration work just for me, you know? Like, I would do, like, some fan art for fighting games and stuff. And then simultaneously also do um, an additional comic book. And these are – I would do, like, 24 mm, – I can't remember if they were 24 pages or 16-page stories – and I did a, I did a four-part comic book called Mason Douglas Detective Supreme, and I never showed it to anybody other than I think Joe Bevel. Um, I feel like I've seen this before. You might have. I mean, I know that I know that I, it's based off of a character that I had created 
when I was submitting stuff to the SCAD comic, like, um, okay. Newspaper, you know, I was submitting comics yeah. to the SCAD newspaper. So like that comic evolved from that. Um, but I don't think I've shown that many people like it's available in my Patreon. If, I think it is. I'm not sure. Cause like one of the things that I did with that comic is I, as I kind of in my own way, tried to deal comedically deal with like, uh, topical things, things that were topical before they were topical, things that would be very topical now, but at okay. the time, nobody was really talking about. And, um, so, uh, you know, at the time, I don't think anybody would have cared, but if somebody read it today, they might feel differently about it because I was trying to, I was just trying to think through like topics like race and in trans topics and stuff like that from a different perspective, like through a, technology perspective and i think the humor in it would probably not really work nowadays but uh that's why it's it a product really, of its time <laughs> it was a product of its time but that's also why i never really i never really re talked about it much with people it was just kind of like uh, maybe this is a project that's just for me and I, it's another way for me to cut my teeth and sort of experiment around, you know? Yeah. And like also fill out that place of when you make something like, what is your comfort level with it? Right. Like, cause that, I think that allowed me to, to foster an internal indicator. So like, okay, if I feel this way about what I'm making, this might be a signal about how somebody else might feel. Or like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just one of those things where you sometimes you create things and you have no idea what's going to happen with it. Right. Before I turned 30, I made like 30 watercolor paintings. They just kind of sat in my closet for a long time. And then like. Eventually, I decided I wanted to frame them. And then eventually I started giving them away to friends and family. So like hmm. some of the paintings were just like um like animal paintings like looney tunes sort of animal like anthropomorphic type stuff. Yeah. Some of them were like bat monster inspired paintings and then others were like the ones that I actually think the most fondly about were these pickle paintings. So like I would just like it would just be like a pickle and then like here's a a pickle dressed like a renaissance queen. Here's a pickle. <laughs> <laughs> like dressed as like um a like an american colonialist like a 17th century style painting uh shit like that and like that was the one that everybody really liked but i only made like 13 of those paintings so there's 13 lucky people you know who have a pickle painting uh most of them family um the family got the really good ones <laughs> do you find because i was thinking about this as you were talking and this actually applies to Haunted. Forgive me if I brought this up last week. It could be the bourbon. Do you find, because I think we've talked about, you know, art without expectation. Mm. Do you find that your art is better when you operate in that zone where you're you're thinking almost of it like a, like a hobby, like I'm not releasing this, I'm not putting it anywhere. Do you feel like that art is better? Because for me, when I do do stuff like that, mm. I do feel like I do better. Like you talked to, so I'm, not to not to break from that question before you can answer it, but 
you asked me if I ever did kind of do like art as a hobby. And I immediately went to screenwriting and filmmaking. But to be honest, I have done other art that had that has nothing to do with filmmaking that I did for me. Yeah. Like when I was depressed, I, I don't know if you've ever seen the, the picture, but I painted a picture. It was a digital uh, painting, but um, it was just me and the Grim Reaper sitting on the edge of um, like a boat ramp looking okay. out at the water at night and the moon was shining or whatever. And the Grim Reaper had his arm around me and I like I was like laying my head resting on the Grim Reaper's shoulder. Like I did that when I was depressed. I did another one. Um, I, I did like a very color, like a blue color palette, like a very depressed color palette of like Santa Claus staring out the window on December 26th, very alone in a cabin watching the snow come down in the North Pole. And again, I was depressed when I did that. And so that like I, I posted them a long time ago on like an art account that I had made. Um, I don't even know if I have the password to it anymore. But it, it got a lot of reaction from people that didn't know me, didn't, you know what I mean, just kind of stumbled across the account. There's been times when I've mocked up what a restaurant would look like if I ever made a restaurant. Yeah. I made the menu. I designed the menu, like just not, not even like the food that's on it. Like I'm talking about the display, like how it was graphically laid out, colors, fonts, you name it. Yeah. Then I came up with the menu part and like I've shown it to like my wife and like stuff like that. And they're like, this is really fucking cool. Like this looks great. And that's usually the first step in me doing something. I don't think about it actually happening. I just need to exercise, like do it. And then I start getting encouragement and it becomes a thing. It snowballs. That's what haunted came with. Like I talked about this last week. Haunted was supposed to be the demonstrated Right. For my cinephile show. Oh, this is how you make a movie. And it turned into something really great that I fell in love with and I want to make and I'm going to make. And I, I forget what was my original question. Do you remember? Oh, I had it in my oh, head. Do you, do you thinking... find if it's do you find that your work is better when you do it without expectation? I don't know if it's better. It's just different in that difference okay. is what stands out, you know, Um because all this stuff that I end up doing as sort of more personal projects is they're personal projects because I'm just trying to experiment with some stuff and see, you know, go into some exploratory place where I can see if I find something that I wouldn't if I were trying to do something on a work or professional basis. Because if, if you're doing something for work, you really can't experiment that much. Like even if you're doing... Yeah. Even if you're doing stuff where you're like really trying to push the boundaries or whatever in your in your work, there's still certain criteria that you have to meet for your client or for your audience or whatever. Yeah. You're not allowed to like just go, well, you know, what if I made something that was completely unreadable, but it works for me? You That's know coming I mean? from the guy who likes The Last Jedi. <laughs> but that's a workable like that's a that's workable for me right like that right, but is not workable for the entire audience of that particular franchise right let's let's rephrase that the majority of that <laughs> that the majority of the that fran that that franchise <laughs> the fandom didn't really vibe with it Right. But this I mean, is another example. So this is yet another example with Star Wars where 
even the ones that people don't like still make a lot of money. Which is which is what <laughs> blows my mind about Star Wars as a thing. There aren't like there aren't that many IPs in the world where you can have a stinker and it still like makes the company money. Which to me is envious, right? It is env- yeah. envious to me to be able to be in a position where you you can fuck around and you're still not really in trouble. I mean, like Ryan Johnson never got to do another Star Wars movie, but it doesn't really matter. Like he got paid for the job. He's got other jobs after that. Like, yeah, there are people like me, but who actually have money and connections within Hollywood who are like, oh, I really like The Last Jedi Ryan Johnson, why don't you make, you know, what is your Knives dream out. project? Yeah, 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 whatever it may be. Yeah. So I don't um, know. I go ahead. No, you go ahead. I talked enough. Uh, well, all I was gonna say was, um, so I don't know. It's funny because to me, there is a certain there is a certain part of me that would love to be given a blank check to make whatever the fuck I want. Which would end up probably being like a bat monster thing, you know, like if somebody were like, here's a million dollars to make whatever you want and, you know, no strings attached. And I would probably use that million dollars to make like a bat monster animated series. Mm-hmm. Um, because that would be my opportunity to just, to just really not care. <laughs> <laughs> but to do it like in an exquisite way, which to me is um, I at least want to do that once in my life. You know what I mean? Like that's a bucket list thing. I mean, yeah, having a trailer park warlock animated series is also a bucket list thing. But I'm just saying in regards to, you know, they're all they're all on the bucket list, I guess, is my point. Right. Like, well, we we talked briefly before we went on air. Um and we we will talk about this on air in further episodes, but something like Atlanta, right? Yeah, they kind of gave Donald Glover the checkbook, and he kind of does whatever the fuck he wants with. Yeah, it and it's brilliant too. There there are episodes that have nothing to do with the continuity that is yeah. established as the foundation of the show, yeah. and you're watching it going, "What does this have to do with with Paperboy becoming or like a, a headline and rapper?" And it's absolutely nothing about that. It's commentary on racism it's commentary on um whatever you know what i mean like yeah. classist issues or whatever it may be yeah. it doesn't even feature any of the main cast at all the entire episode and you're wondering like how the fuck did he get to make this it's just like a short film that i just had to sit there and watch thinking it had to do with the main storyline it has nothing to do with it but then you could also like i haven't done this yet but i plan on it i feel like i need to go back or, or i'm going to go back and rewatch the the series and go well, were they continuing the main story through another story that has nothing to do with these characters? Or, thematically, is it carrying through? You I know do what I mean? think, and I want to look for things like that. That's my take on it. Is that a lot of those um, uh, whatever? You, yeah, one-offs. Yeah, thematically carry stuff that's happened previously, or leads into stuff that you you yeah. come into later on in the show. Um. Yeah. I definitely get that sense of it. And I I think it's actually a really brilliant way of doing that because it also, not like anything in the show is monotonous at all. 
No. But it cuts, like, it's this really interesting way of cutting what could be the monotony of a of an episodic serial storyline. You mm. know what I mean? Because I think, I think on some level, the way that they're trying to tell the story in Atlanta is to just get to the heart of the heart of the theme instead of just trying to make it into here's a show about these guys and they're doing this and blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Which I, and I think that that's, I think that also goes well with the, I don't know if I'd say it's experimental, but just with the, I think the more high art nature of the show where they can blend in surrealistic stuff and mess around with the audience a lot more, which I love, you know what I mean? Like mm. I love stuff like that. And I'm, that's something I'm really getting out of in, in my enjoyment of that show. Um, and yeah, once again, like I have times where I'm watching Atlanta and I'm just like, I feel, I simultaneously feel jealous Right. Like, <laughs> I can't believe it. Like, this is such an amazing opportunity that the people who produce the show have gone to be able to do this. And then I also feel like I don't think I can ever make anything as good as this in regards yes. to just like how well they intertwine theme with story, but also just like make it look kind of effortless in like and- accidental, which is just the crazy thing to me. The, yeah, I think it needs to be said, and this is goes. I mean, the the artists among our audience will understand this, but the people who are just listening because whatever they stumble upon the podcast, they're stalking you or I. They might not understand this. It's one thing to experiment within art; it's another thing to succeed in your experiment within yeah. art. And this show consistently succeeds in yeah. every experiment that they take, and it, yeah. it's mind boggling how you can be so fucking good at nailing something that has not been tried before, yeah. or at least not that I've found, you know, right. I mean? like some of the, the turns that they take where it's just like the fucking, they, they made up fake commercials for, they're doing a talk show episode that continues the storyline and they make up fake commercials to fit within this episode that look like real commercials and carry themes from the fucking episode through the commercials. Yeah. And they're still funny. They're entertaining. They're interesting. They're thought provoking. They're grounded or they're surrealist. Like they go in so many different directions in so many different ways. You know it's what like, the structure how of can it is? be that fucking good, man. I think another thing is, you know, I think another thing is the structure of it is kind of like a concept album where, mm. A concept album will take a theme and then try and weave sort of a story out of the songs. But sometimes you can have a concept album where you have songs that don't seem to necessarily fit with everything else, you know, immediately, but feels like it's part of the whole. Like Dark Side of the Moon is the first thing that comes to my mind where not every track necessarily feel like if you thought if you looked at it, just from the track list, you would go like, well, how did all these things fit together? But when you listen to it as a whole, it feels like a unified thing where you're going through, Mm -hmm. you know, thinking about time, thinking about money, thinking about life and death, thinking about existence. And that's kind of how Atlanta is, is where it's like, you're thinking about all these things together, even though they don't necessarily 
they don't necessarily you don't necessarily see how they were all, they're all going to connect initially mm. but they do connect. yeah they do inevitably connect and so anyway i i think to get back on track with our topic you know i think that there is um there's a, a huge amount of playfulness in that series mm. and i think that's what lends so much of that the energy that it has in it and allows, you know, the creators of that show to be able to, to really skillfully weave in and out of like doing what you would call quote unquote, a professional storyline while at the same time being able to quote unquote, fuck around with ideas. Mm. Cause yeah. you initially are like, Oh, are they like, you initially look at those one offs and be like, Oh, they're just like fucking around and, and you know, in the off time. Yeah. Right. Um, but really it, it, it all connects together, you know, it'll all ultimately connect together. And so I think and it's that, brilliant. yeah. And, and I think at a certain point as an artist, you do have to be able to find those opportunities either within your professional work or outside of it to be playful. And that's, you know, like, I think when we talk about people who are hobbyists, um, a lot of times what that really means is like, that's their form of play is like doing something that uh, otherwise would be considered a professional work. Mm. Um, Because there are people who will like just repair cars for fun. You know what I mean? Like that's a business for most people, but there are, there are, there are guys who retire are even just like when they're off of work, like what they do is they'll they'll repair like an old car or they'll tune it up or whatever because it's the challenge of it is what is bringing them in to wanting to do it. See, I get that a lot when I cook for people. Mm-hmm. When they, You know what I mean? Like my in-laws are in town right now and I've cooked for them for the last two days and the, the, the number of times that I've gotten the compliment from them and from other people is, oh, you should open a restaurant. You should, you know, you should write a recipe book or you should start a, 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 uh, I think you've even said it before that I should do like a cooking show for YouTube or something. You know what I mean? Like the amount of times that people have looked at some of the things that I've done and said, well, you know, you should do this and da, 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 and capitalize on that. And I have no interest, none in doing that. Cause I, I, I'm sure you remember my response to you was, 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 that's not going to make me happy. Making a movie sure. is going to be what makes me happy. Sure. I could do that that video about how to make orange spaghetti. And I'm sure it would probably get a, quite a few clicks. I have no interest. It, it doesn't appeal to me. It's, it's not in any way. I probably could make money off of doing that. I could mm-hmm. probably, you know, find yeah, quote unquote, so. success. But sure. person, I think that's where the line gets drawn. Is whether is whether or not the personal fulfillment comes from other people or from the accomplishment in the task, right? Yeah, I find fulfillment in making in creating food for myself, mostly because I get to eat it. <laughs> for filmmaking, yeah, I do find fulfillment in watching a movie that I've made. Like I I watch digits every now and then, maybe once every two or three years. Not nearly as often as I watch anything else. But I find the fulfillment in making a film. You were in the theater when we premiered Digits. Not from the movie being done, but from watching the audience laugh, watching yeah. the audience react to things. Yeah, that's where the fulfillment came in. And yeah, you, you know what I mean? Like I had to I can afford to fuck around with food on myself like I can 
buy an orange and some flour and some uh, durum and make orange pasta. That's pretty affordable. Making a, a two-hour movie, a little bit more expensive, kind of necessitates the need for ticket prices and DVD sales and yeah. you know what I mean? Like, like t-shirts and stuff like that, that we sold and all that kind of crap. And th- it's almost like demanded that not only are other, that that medium for me relies on other people and capitalism in some respect. Whereas the food one, all I'm trying to please is me, man. Like, if yeah, I, like I like, absolutely. I like sharing my food with other people. Don't get me wrong. Otherwise I wouldn't post it on Instagram and right. Twitter and all that shit. But you know, and I, I give away food left and right too, but I have no interest in making that my everything. This That's is some, just, it's been on my mind a lot, which is this idea of, and this goes into the whole like professional artists, not professional artists, whatever kind yeah. of thing. I thought about, I've thought a lot about like, and this is actually sort of stemmed into a, a a project I'll probably never do, but I've thought a lot about, which That's is like those. just, you know, just randomly interviewing people and being like, if money wasn't an option, what would you be doing instead? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Or I don't know. I don't know if that's the right way of phrasing it. If you didn't have to worry about money, what would you be doing instead, right? Because mm-hmm. for me, it's like if if money wasn't an issue, I would just be doing exactly what I'm doing right now. But like, yep, I'm the there, same. I'm the same way. I'd be making movies. Yeah, that, there that are tons of answer. people who are like, you know, they're they have dream projects that they think about, or or trips or whatever, you know, that they want to do that they can't do because work is what's impeding their situation. And it's interesting because I think a lot about, sometimes I think one of the issues with uh, the way that our society is structured is we don't find out initially how many people want to do which things. And we just kind of let, the chips fall as they might. And so Mm. it just becomes this sort of random, like, well, whoever steps in line first gets this or that job, even if they're like, even if they're only kind of qualified for it and they're not that interested in it, but they're like, there are people who genuinely are interested in going back to the repairing cars thing, like in repairing cars all day long and they would do it for free. You know what I mean? There are people who I don't I mean, I don't know how many people are really into this, but I'm sure there are people who love to do taxes all day long. Like it's calming to them. Like it's a to, to some extent, I, I got to admit, balancing some of my books and stuff like that, like sitting down to start, I'm anxiety written. But mm-hmm. when I start actually like figuring out my finances and doing budgeting and stuff like that, like for the feature film for Haunted right now you know, going through and making line items and, you know, how much is this going to cost? How long is that going to take? Oddly calming. <laughs> it's oddly, oddly satisfying. It's like one of those things where you, I, I don't know. It's like, I've heard girls talk about this, like painting their nails where it's like, Oh, it's just time for myself where I don't have to talk to anybody yeah. or do anything. You know what I mean? It's like a very, it's like, Oh, I just make a decision and I do it. I can have some music on in the background, maybe not. And just do my thing. Whereas I'm thinking about that with like spreadsheets. Like I love figuring out my 
my um my meal plan for the week. That's one of my favorite things. It's like, oh, Monday I'll do this, Tuesday I'll do that. How many calories is that going to be? All right, I'll have to work out. Do I have time that day to work out? No, I'll move this meal to Friday. Like yeah. that kind of weird organizational thing is very calming. So I understand what you're saying. Yeah, and I mean it gets into a deeper topic because for me, I um like I have criticisms right about our current society and the way like quote unquote capitalism is structured and all that stuff. But I kind of feel like on a certain level, when you say everything is capitalism's fault, you're really sort of ignoring what's actually going on, which is that you just have Mm. people who are unhappy because they're not doing what they feel like they ought to be doing in their life. Yeah. And on a certain level, you know, yeah, there's a lot of structures in the world that make it difficult for them to do that. But on another level, what is really the impediment? Ultimately, yeah, on a certain level, yeah, it is you, right? Everybody can make that choice to walk out of that job and actually do something that they want to do. Even if it's not like the absolute dream thing, it might be something that's just better, you know, and also maybe better paying or whatever. Um, it's something that I think about a lot because I'm not very well at like putting into words what I'm trying to. Uh, I think uncover, right? Because I think there's a deep psychological thing for people in regards to how they how they approach life. And it's different for different people, right? Because there's some people who are just like, well, you got to work so you get a job and you're going to hate that job because you're just supposed to hate it. Mm. And I think that that, it's not a mindset I have, but also like I'm not, in terms of jobs, I'm not like, and I'm not like doing that great financially, but I'm happy otherwise. Right. Right. Um, whereas there are people who like have jobs that pay them tons of money and they're really unhappy. So it's one of those things where to me, it's like how I feel like the best way to live is to do what makes you happy and fuck the rest of the situation. Like it's not, it becomes irrelevant after a certain point. Yeah. Um, and so I guess this goes back to, and maybe, the, and this is the thing that I think I did not understand about the person I talked with is like, I didn't fully understand their relationship with art because I think they liked their job that they had. Mm. And I think that's what made it easier for them to look at their art as a hobby. Whereas for me, I, I don't really know this, but I feel like if I had, if I had a full-time job that I was doing outside of what I'm doing right now, that I would probably be miserable because I would just be thinking about the thing I, w- I ought to be doing or want to yeah. do. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's something that I've been trying to figure out a lot because I am – I do do this tug of war with myself about like, well, you know, your financial situation might be a lot better if you <laughs> actually did Ain't that some, the truth for everybody though. If you did some actual real fucking work. Um, but I'm just really stubborn in that way. Right. Like I'm just like, I insist on like doing the thing where I'm not, I'm not, I, I, I guess it's just like the way that I'm so engaged in making Trailer Park Warlock, I I, I really wouldn't want to be doing anything else. 
that's like the only way I could put it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's something that I, that's something that I want everybody to fill because I think it's a great filling. If that makes yeah. sense. And, um, and so I think my ultimate point in all of this is life might be best lived when it is your hobby. <laughs> if that makes sense. Like it's very poignant. <laughs> live life as though it were your hobby so that I don't know what that really means ultimately though. What would be the actual job? <laughs> like Well if life is the hobby, what's the what's the other thing I mean, you're doing? I'm I'm I feel like we're skirting around this topic of capitalism and art for our mon the monetization of art. Mm-hmm. And I had to, I had a DM conversation with this guy, a friend of mine on Twitter a couple weeks ago where he had tweeted out something like, I fucking hate money. I hate money. I hate capitalism, blah, blah, blah. And as we talked about at the beginning of this episode, I like to argue with myself. And I had had that conversation with myself before where I was very yeah. much like, fuck money. I hate money. I hate this shit, blah, blah, blah. And I argued with myself, well, what's the point of money? Am I mad at money or am I mad at the fact that I don't have any? And that was the truth of the matter, was right. I was mad that I didn't have any. Right. Because money in itself is a equalizer. Without money, we're down to bartering. And that means if I'm a farmer and I grow corn, right? Mm. I have to trade corn for everything else that I get. The problem is if the things that I want are held by people who don't like corn, I'm out of luck. If I want to go to a comedy show and the guy who's the comedian doesn't like corn, what do I have to barter with? Nothing. In this instance, money is an equalizer. There's an assigned value to, to corn. And people say corn is worth this much because this many people want corn. So... People give me money for corn. I can accrue the amount of money. I can go see the comedy show. Doesn't matter if the guy doesn't like corn or not. I get to go see the comedy show. Same thing, vice versa. Maybe I don't like comedy. And he says, oh, I'll give you free tickets to my show. I don't like comedy. But he wants corn. He's not getting any corn because I don't like comedy. Money is that middle ground of barter where, you know what I mean? And that's what basically what capitalism is, a mass of group of people decide, assign a value to a skill or a um, item or, or I don't know what the word I'm, I'm looking for here is good but, or service. <laughs> yeah. A good, or, a good or service. Very good. Yeah. And it becomes an intermediary so that we can trade and we can all be diverse in the terms that we, of things that we want and not want. And yeah. in that instance, I argued myself out of hating money and I understood its purpose and I understood it. And, you know, it, it. when you have those kinds of arguments with yourself, you really get to step back and go, OK, I don't hate money. I hate yeah. that I don't have money. How do I get more money? Yeah. Maybe I got to create things that people like. Maybe, you know what I mean? And that's to me, when you look at something like hobby versus um, professionalism, you really have to kind of examine whether or not you are happy with your spot in life. Like, do you know what I mean? Am I making this for me or am I making this 
for me and other people. I don't think I don't think it has to be exclusionary. I don't think you have to make art for other people right. or yourself. It doesn't have to be one or the other. It could be for yourself or for yourself and other people or for other people. And I think the stuff that gets done for other people and not yourself is the stuff that suffers, which is why I think a lot of artists fail because they do what they think other people will like. Do you know what I mean? There's a balance yeah. between between doing just what you want to see and just what everybody else or what you think everybody else wants to see or what the statistics say everybody else wants to see. There's a middle ground and in, in the middle of that where you could say, I like this. I know people don't like that. Uh, that's that's maybe not even a statistic. Maybe it's not even corporate mandate. Yeah. It's just an observation you as the artist have. And you say, well, I like this. They don't. Do I want this? Mm, I'm not going to die on this hill. And you know what I mean? Like there's a yeah. give and take. Absolutely. But that's really the decision that the artist has to make in the decision between keeping it as a hobby and going pro is whether or not you're doing it for yourself and for other people or if you're just doing it for yourself. There's nothing wrong with doing it for yourself. Right. I'm I'm okay with that. It's a mental health thing, to be honest with you. Do we, did we talk about this on air or off air last year about George or last week about George Lucas? I think we talked about yeah, it. Yeah, we talked about right? the tone poems. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And like that is a complete thing where he is now a filmmaker hobbyist. The mo <laughs> like the man has billions of dollars. He created several of the most successful film franchises and standalone films of all time. Yeah. All time. And he just ah fuck it. I'm just gonna do these for me. <laughs> and that's I it. mean, that's and, the end of the. <laughs> and that's how I felt. I think last time we talked about it, where it was just like, you know, on a certain level, he's just making room for other artists who that's otherwise true. wouldn't have a shot. You know what I mean? And yeah. when, when he you're... dies, he'll release the entire vault and wall. We'll yeah. Like, Fuck. Exactly. <laughs> and I think that that's on a certain level really charitable and maybe even ethical thing to do when you're that. When you're at that level as an artist where you don't have to worry about money anymore. Mm. And so I think, you know, it is, po I'm totally speculating here, but I think it is possible that George Lucas kind of looked at that and said, well, I shouldn't really take up the that space anymore and let somebody else come in to fill it up, you know, and does I'll that, do my own thing. Does that mean Steven Spielberg is an asshole for continuously <laughs> staking out his territory in filmmaking? He might See, be. I, you know? This is you pose an interesting um, possibility here because I don't know about you. I've personally answered this question for myself as to whether or not I was in the future. Hypothetically, if I was a massive success, if I accomplished every film that I had currently conjured up in my brain, if I had made them, they were hits. I had a ton of money. Mm -hmm. What do I do next? What's my next option? And I've always said to myself, I mean, the first thing is I'm buying a fucking Batmobile. There's not like a Keaton mobile. There's no way that's not the first thing. But after that, it's very much like I, and I think Donald Glover did this with Atlanta. It's giving back to people you feel are not necessarily like you, but in similar situations that you were. Yeah. And allowing them to have opportunity, maybe, you know, offer mentorship. The idea to me that I could have several massively hit franchise movies and, you know, all the money in the world and all this kind of shit, it sounds fun. But to me, that wouldn't be fulfilling at that point. The idea to me that I could have a 
film festival competition, not in my name, but that I could kind of head up and be like, this guy is really good. I really want to see this guy succeed. Like I want to empower another, not necessarily another me, but another person who is in my medium or whatever and watch them get to go do their thing. Like that to me is exciting. So I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how I got on this topic, but it's like, well, you're getting me, you're getting me thinking about what I think is ultimately, I think the biggest thing that's going on with our current, like just the crisis of everything that's happening around the world right now. I think a lot of it, not all of it, but a lot of it is connected to the fact that there are a lot of, at this point, institutions, people, ideas that have gotten kind of old and we're now reaching into this point where there are now wildfires happening you know it's like in a in a forest you have wildfires because the trees get too old and at some point you either have to like chop them up take them out or they eventually dry up and catch on fire and it catches everything else in the forest on fire so like you kind of have that where you have politicians who are way too old to be serving office that are causing a lot of mm. chaos and havoc because they don't match up with the younger, like the the desires or the needs of the younger populace, you know, yeah. or the same goes in the same, not so much in, te- in the technology realm so far, but like the same things going on in the art crowd where you have actors who are like, really need to retire at this point. They're extremely wealthy. Like they, they don't, they're kind of doing these jobs now as a vanity projects, like make some room for some younger actors to come in and do those roles. Like yeah. same with the rest of the arts in like the same is going on in video games right now where you have uh, a lot of the like triple a studio titles. They're just sequels of stuff that have been sequels for the last decade. It's like, oh, okay, we're doing for the tenth year now the same like, whatever FIFA game or or Metal Gear or whatever the hell, because yeah. they're not. What ends up happening is if you keep retreading that same ground, eventually you're going to collapse. You have to you have to revitalize it at some point. Bring in new talent. Bring in new ideas. Or you collapse. And that's what's been going on with like print comics. And I know I've talked about this in the past, but like print comics has been collapsing for the last decade because they are not willing to um, embrace like new stuff. And they're just starting to kind of try to, but it's too little too late. And at this point, like everybody is migrating either to uh, like manga into Japanese comics, are they migrating to digital platforms? Mm. So, I I think that a lot of the new stuff, on ultimately, ironically, comes out of like the amateurs and the hobbyists, the people who are just fucking around and doing things that otherwise wouldn't be profitable in the current paradigm, mm. but if you just open up the gates a little bit, you allow for room for new things to flourish. And so, and I kind of look at that like, like with Atlanta and a couple other shows, I look at that as like, I mean, Donald Glover has been around for a while, but I think this is like the first project he's done where he's had a real major, like other than 
other than his albums, right? But like a like a television project where he's been able to like really get his hands into it and sort of do what he wants, right? Yeah. Um, he's sort of started like there's sort of a paradigm shift happening in that sort of style of, of telling a story, and so. We're going to see more of this until we get and we kind of go through the full paradigm shift, right? And I'm ready for it, but I know that there are a lot of people who are just holding on for dear life, trying to keep everything from changing. But the change happens inevitably. Yeah, they're just trying to hold on to their money. That's really what it is. Yeah, people people just trying to get their money and get out as fast as they can. They're not there for the long haul. They're not there for for legend status. They're there for their financial gain. And you know, some people. That's how they live their lives. To me, that's that's kind of pathetic and sad and not worth it. Yeah. Uh, it's, to me, to me, it's about making a mark on the world, even though in seven billion years, the, the world will be nothing anyway, and humanity <laughs> will cease to exist, and all of this will have been for nothing. So, fuck it. Maybe the money people are right. Live life, get drunk, fuck bitches, and <laughs> call it a day. But, you know, I, th- that's really the, the crux of it, is you got to decide what's best for you, and... um. Figure out what lets you sleep at night. That's re- that's really what it comes down to me. You yeah. know what I mean? I can decide well, if, when it comes down to every decision that I make, whether or not it's doing art as a hobby or professionally or how I do that art or how I handle myself or which jobs I take. It all comes down to whether or not I can sleep at night. Can I live with myself? Can I say that was worth it? Even if it was a mistake. I've done things that I've thought, you know, I can live with this and it was a mistake and I, you know, I still sleep at night because I said to myself, well, I learned something from that and I don't have to do that again. Or I can do something else now. You know, like, yeah, that's really what it comes down to is why I ask myself that. Anyway, I feel like the bourbon has kind of kicked me. So uh, <laughs> we're going to call it now. Unless you got anything else you want to throw out, Mr. Rainwater. No, that's all I got. Tonight. Yeah, all right, all guys. We'll see you next week. Good night. Later. Later.